This week on Writers, Inc. I think even to this day, when someone when someone releases their debut, there's a million excuses not to punch that publish button. J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories. All have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out. School's in session. This is Writer's Inc. There's a rumor out that J.D. Barker just wrote an outline. He took his pants off. <laughs> I, I feel like I need to go to a support group. You know, my name is J.D. Barker, and I just created an outline. Um, yeah, so I, I did it. You know, the, the world the word is out. Um, I, I wanted to give it a shot. I wanted to see what would happen if I actually outlined the book, start to finish. You know, the same way that I've been doing. You know, with with Jim, the way he's taught me to do it. And and honestly, like it, it. You know, I got the same kind of cool feeling out of it, creating the outline that I normally get when I'm writing the book. Um, the 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 biggest benefit that I saw from it is like I made some serious plot changes. You know, as I went. You know, I I, I basically did like the thirty thousand foot view. So I just plugged in like the the main portions of the story first and. And then I, I circled back and kind of got a little closer to it and circled back, got a little closer, just kind of digged it, you know, dug in a little deeper each time that I made a pass on that outline. Um, and it was it was so easy to, you know, change things, you know, like along the, the, the storyline. Whereas if I had written that book, you know, I would have had 20,000 words or whatever that I would have had to trash and go back and backtrack to, you know, chapter 23 when I was actually at 33 or whatever. And, you know, like you eventually get there doing that. But, yeah, this this was faster. Um, and I've written books off of outlines, so I know how that part's going to gonna go so you know i should be able to turn the book out really quick now because i know the entire storyline so we'll see um but yeah it's the first one i've done you know for myself 100 percent from start to finish completely outlined wow do, do you feel any sense of disappointment that you're not going to have that that experience in in pantsing the draft like in all seriousness like is or did you get that sort of fulfillment from doing the outline well, you know what's weird for me is, you know, I go on this this five mile run every day, and I usually use that time when I'm when I'm pantsing a novel to try and figure out what comes next because I leave myself in some kind of you know difficult painted corner, and I have to figure it out before I sit down the the next day, um, you know. And when I'm working off an outline, like I don't have that, so I leave for the run, and like I've literally got nothing in my head that I need now to you think only have about. To run two miles, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I could I could hit the you know yeah go down half mile down the street, turn around, and come back. Um, so so that part feels weird. Um, but I think I left enough openings in in the story where I can, you know, it's like, it's not carved in stone by any means. I, I can still make changes along the way. I'm sure I'm going to get to know the characters a lot better as I go. And I'm, you know, that's going to feed into it a lot. Um, so I'm hoping to kind of combine po both processes, you know, that I've got the outline as a framework to kind of help me tell that story. But, you know, if something comes up along the way, I'm not going to ignore it and force myself to stick to the outline. Um, Cause I've heard how that part goes too. And, and, you know, that, that doesn't work. I mean, the last book that I, I did with Patterson, like we wrote an outline for the entire project, um, but about two thirds of the way through, we just decided we had a much better ending and we just kind of chucked the rest and just wrote what we wanted to write. Um, and it came out better for it, you know, but like we wouldn't have had that idea and we didn't have it when we wrote the outline. So a lot of times you need to be, you know, knee deep in that story before you figure those kind of things out. 
I think that's the part a lot of people who are anti-outlining miss. And and I'm not taking sides one way or the other. Like I've come around. Whatever works for you works for you. As long as it's working. That's the that's the thing. If it's not working, you should make a change or consider it. But like I think so many people who I hear because I hear it all the time, they're scared to outline because they don't want to be locked into the story. And it's like, no, you can change things and you and you will discover there's other things you will discover you're right along the way and your outline will end up being different like every time jay and jay and i have done this i mean that's happened something always changes so you don't have to be locked into it but it definitely like you said you don't you you know when you're running you don't have to think about as much because you already go in knowing what you're going to be writing that day um, so yeah, it just, it definitely can, I think it just can save you a lot of work in the end if you do a little bit more up front. So well, we'll see. We'll check back in three months or so when the book is done and we'll see how it went. <laughs> is, uh, oh, uh, never mind. I was going to ask if this is a, um, a contract book, but you'll, you'll take this to Kristen and then decide what to do with it once it's done. Yeah. This, this is one of those where, you know, I've got the, that other book that I had worked on the haunted house type story. Um, that one's basically done. It's with the publishers. It's ready to go, but the, everybody wants a thriller out of me. And that's something that I really got, you know, going to some of these foreign countries lately. Like that's what all of my, my publishers are looking for. So we, we went back to that PDF document that I've talked about. That's got my various ideas. Um, and, and funnily enough, like a lot of the publishers, you know, zeroed in on this one particular book. I mean, there, there's probably, I think 10 or 12 different ones on there, but yeah, I think eight of them picked this, this title as the one they wanted to see next. Um, so that, that tells me something. Um, you know, and it's also tied to an app. There's a lot of different things that are going on with it. Um, you know, film and TV stuff is already in the works. Um, so all, all that kind of stuff helps, but yeah, so then Kristen will take it. Um, we haven't actually signed with a particular publisher yet. We just got their opinions on it. So when it's done, she's going to just kind of hold it up in the air and say, okay, let's go and, and see where it lands. Pretty much be an auction at that point. Yeah. It, it'll be an auction or a preamp or, or something like that. Nice. All right. A, uh, a friend of mine just started reading 4MK, so when she's done, I'm going to have her email you and ask you for another one in that series. <laughs> you might as well. So, Everybody else has beaten me up over that's that. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't even read one of my books, and she's reading 4MK, so there you go. All right. <laughs> oh, anything else going on? All right. I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> Cr- crickets. You really need that cricket sound effect. <laughs> to edit that in there oh yeah. i'm not i'm not editing that out i'm leaving that awkward silence in there all right let's for, let's forget about the awkward <laughs> silence and talk about uh kobo writing life our wonderful sponsors uh kobo writing life is a go-to uh for publishing a book wide if you are not going to be exclusive to amazon you want to sell your books internationally uh, kobo's got all kind of uh great resources there monthly promotional opportunities and you're going to get an email response from a, a real human whenever you email uh, Kobo Writing Life. So if you're interested, you got a book that's coming out, it's going to go wide, head on over to KoboWritingLife.com and upload it there. JD, who is our interview today? All right. I wrote it out phonetically so that I can get this one right because I always flub her name. Ava Lesko Natiello. There we go. Um, New York Times bestseller um, of psychological thrillers. Her first book was called The Memory Box, which she indie published, um, but ended up selling enough copies to hit the New York Times list, which is obviously no easy feat. Um, Her latest title is called Following You, which is out now. Um, I'm really looking forward to this one. Here she is, Ava. Okay, so we have a camera on now, so you can see. So uh, the first question I have for you is, what kind of foundation would you recommend for my skin? (laughs) (laughs) 
It depends on how your T-zone is working right now, if you're dry or oily. <laughs> Good question. Oh, thank you. I thought that would, that would be a question you would not anticipate getting. No, you're absolutely right. And I have to say, in all the interviews I've ever done, that was the first time someone has asked me that. In my new career, in my old career, well, that's a different story. Right. So let's let, let the listeners in on the joke. Uh, why, why did I ask you that question? Well, my um, my first career was uh, working in the beauty industry. I worked as um, in actually my first job was with Estee Lauder and I was the head of um, global communications and PR for many years there. I worked for different brands and I had the real luck of working with the founder, Estee Lauder, the woman, when I first um, started there, she was kind of ending her professional career. She would still come into the office, but it was really uh, in my first year there that I got to see her and work with her. And it was an incredible experience. I mean, that woman was a marketing genius. And I never intended back then to ever write a book, um, ever. It was not on my radar. I never had the want, need, desire, interest. But later in life, as my second career, when I did, I really thought about Estee Lauder and how she got her brand off the ground, especially when she was met with rejection after rejection. You know, obviously when someone launches a brand, there's a time where no one knows them. You know, they're, they're completely unknown. Their product is unknown. So in 1946, when she was a young woman and had developed these products in her basement with her uncle, no one knew who she was. And she was uh, met with rejection from every store she tried to get to cover her products. And so that really uh, hit home for me because when I finished writing my first book, I had intended to get an agent, of course, get it published, um, get a nice sizable advance, you know, with my first book, obviously, <laughs> everybody does. <laughs> um, and none of that happened. I couldn't get an agent. Um, Three years and 84 rejections later, I was really convinced that they all knew something I did not because I was so green. I was so new to this um, industry publishing. I for sure thought, well, these people are pros. They know what they're talking about. My book will never be published. It doesn't have value. And so that was really discouraging. Um, and I almost gave up. I almost gave up. I read a book. We all know it now. Gone Girl came out, um, you know, many years ago now. And when I read that book, I thought, oh, my gosh, the, now I just figured out who my reader is, you know, and and I thought there were a lot of similarities between my first book, The Memory Box and Gone Girl. And um that's when I heard Estee Lauder in my head. And when she so, so this is what I did, which was really exciting. Yeah, I, I want to hear about this because I, I yeah. know that you drew a lot from your experience uh, at Estee Lauder, not not just from the woman, but even your your time in the role and and how you applied that for the memory box. So, yeah, tell us all. I'd love to hear it. 
Yeah. So what I decided to do was take three of her marketing strategies from 1946. Okay. So this is now 70 years, <laughs> 70 years old, her marketing strategy is 70 years old. And I modernized them and I launched my book with three of the things that I saw her do with great success. And the very first one was let the customer decide, let the customer decide. So what she said a long time ago, when the gatekeepers were saying no, she was not going to give up. The gatekeepers were the retailers. They were not going to cover, they were not going to sell their pro her products in their store. And she said, you know what? I'm going to go straight to the ultimate consumer. The women who are going to use my product, I'm going to go straight to them. So what she did was, and this is a riot, she really wanted to be carried in Saks Fifth Avenue. So she took her fragrance, Youth Do, that was the very first fragrance. <laughs> and she went to Saks Fifth Avenue. And if you've ever been there, it's on Fifth Avenue, of course. And there's a row of circular doors, right? Revolving doors. She went in the store and unbeknownst to anyone, she poured her fragrance on the carpet. Wow. <laughs> right inside, off of Fifth Avenue, she poured her fragrance and left, okay? Then a week later, she called the buying office and the buying office had refused to take her calls for, she'd been calling for a year. They were not listening to her. Well, after that week, after pouring the fragrance, she called them and she said, I have some information on the fragrance that everyone's smelling at the front of the store. <laughs> <laughs> and they took her call. And, you know, they were the first, they were her flagship store. They, they, you know, everyone wanted to know what they were smelling and they wanted to buy it. And lo and behold, the, you know, the buyers in Saks Fifth Avenue did not know what it was. So when I heard that story, I thought that is genius. I have just been rejected by 84 gatekeepers, right? But what I'm going to do now is in the age of self-publishing, I'm going to go straight to the ultimate consumer. I'm going to go to the reader, let them decide. And, and I tell people this all the time now when I teach workshops and, um, and do writers conferences is rejection is the ultimate motivation. You know, I, I came up with the I'll show them strategy, <laughs> you know, the I'll show them. And, and it really, really worked. And when I decided I would go straight to the ultimate consumer, which is the reader, I made myself a huge promise. Um, don't be an amateur, you know, be a pro. Do this really in the most professional way possible. So that was the first thing I did. She, two more things, two more strategy strategies I used that were Estee Lauder's and I learned from her was she was the queen of sampling, right? She gave away in 1946, she was giving away free lipsticks to people because she was an unknown, right? I mean, how do you get on the map? And you can endear yourself to people when you're giving away free stuff. <laughs> and, and what I've learned is when you give away, which I, I did, I launched my book and about three weeks in, after the launch, I made my book, my ebook available for free for three days. And I said to myself, well, how am I going to reach the people in the rest, you know, who aren't blood relatives of mine, right? Because I had sold to all of them. 
And, and I tell first time authors to do this too, because they need to get their name out there. They need to get their product out there. Well, how do you do it? Sometimes you have to maybe give away a few copies. And I thought if I could give away 200 copies of this book, that's 200 people that might know my name now that didn't yesterday, right? So I set up the promotion. I really publicized it like crazy because of course I come from this publicity background. And I could not believe at the end of that three days, I had given away 27,000 copies of my book. And the real interesting thing I learned is when people get something of value for free, they are really generous. They are super generous, right? Because and the opposite, which is when they spend a lot on something that has no value, they are not generous. <laughs> they're, they're really upset, you know, and they show that in the form of reviews. And so what I learned from that, giving away those 27,000 copies, those reviews started rolling in and those people started to become my sales team. And in, within six months, I had hundreds of reviews on Amazon and the other retailers where I sold my book. So that was, that was really incredible. Wow. I do think also, because some people ask me, well, you lost all that money. You gave all those books away. But I believe I gained more than I could have in royalties because as we know, Word of mouth is gold. It's really gold. And it's worth so much more than any other type of promotion. So there's there was real value in me giving that book away in the form of, you know, the positive reviews that I got on the other end, which reviews for an author is currency. You know, if you can show that on your retail pages, you've got a lot of people talking about your book, but good, bad, or indifferent. You've got something going on, and that's super important. Okay, so we've got so go, the third, the third strategy one, right? That she, yeah, the third strategy that I learned from Estee Lauder. She was famous for saying, "Once you touch a customer, you will have her for life." She really, really believed in that connection, the one-on-one -on -one connection, and. So what was my translation of that, and how did I modernize that for? Um, you know, 2020 or whenever I launched this first book years ago was I uh, offered to attend any book club that read my book and whether that was in person or virtually. And in the first, I, I think it was probably the first two years I attended over 200 book club discussions of my book. And I can tell you, you know, when you're sitting in someone's living room, these people are strangers, you have attended their book club. Most book clubs don't have an author visiting. Okay, so it is really super exciting for them, first of all. And then when you share your process with them, and you, in my case, it was a second career, I was reinventing myself. There was a huge learning curve. It was against all odds. It was after all this rejection. Boy, these people really wanted to see me succeed. You know, they became my sales force. All of these people became my sales force. Of course, 
I, you know, had a picture taken of the book club. I put it on social media. They, they were tagged in it. They wanted to share it with their friends because they wanted to brag about having an author in their house. And so it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I believe that was one of the things that really put the book on the map. Um, and, you know, of course it was a book club it was, it's book club fiction. You know, it's, you have to be writing commercial fiction for you to be invited to 200 book clubs. You know, you can't be writing about uh, South American turtle mating season. You know what I mean? So, so it really helped. And my reader is, is the demographic of most book clubs. Um, so that was really key, but um it, again, it was that um, connection that Estee Lauder was talking about way back in 1946, making a connection with people, word of mouth. I mean, these things were driving, and in the absence of having a salesperson, a, distrib a distributor, or a marketing team, these people became my marketing team, you know? these readers what was your what was the modern equivalent of you dumping the fragrance on the carpet well the modern equivalent <laughs> of was just putting myself out there putting the book out there on my own um without the gatekeeper so just releasing it to the world which i know that doesn't sound like a crazy thing to do in 2020 but um you know when self-publishing was kind of new, I think even to this day, when someone when someone releases their debut, there's a million excuses not to punch that publish button. You know, you come up with a million reasons to change your mind. You know, maybe you shouldn't do it. So there is this jump off the cliff aspect of releasing your first baby into the world. And so that was the equivalent, releasing it into the world and letting people now um, judge it. In the same way she poured her fragrance on the carpet, she was, you know, making it available to pe for people to judge. And is, uh, do you believe it was this culmination of, of strategies that you used that got the memory box on the New York Times and USA Today bestseller lists? Um, I think definitely because creating momentum at the beginning is super duper important. I mean, um, having things going on, meaning having people talking about it, getting reviews, being um, out there, uh, talking to book clubs, having bloggers talk about the book because, you know, somebody told me it was like a month or two after the book was released. I live in New Jersey and somebody called me up and said, I just saw someone reading your book in Hawaii. And I was like, what? I can't believe that, you know, um, somebody already is on the West Coast or, you know, at that point she was, I think she was a, uh, from California and she was vacationing in Hawaii. And, um, that doesn't happen unless you get the momentum going. Um, so definitely those things led to, to it hitting the New York Times and USA bestseller list. I had great momentum. I had great reviews. Um, I actually was able to sell the audio rights um, 
in an auction, like five, I believe four or five publishers wanted the audio rights to that. And so that helped. And of course, being a marketing and branding person, everything that happened, like when audio publishers reached out to me to um, bid on the audio uh, rights, I created some kind of, um, I created these news bits out of this. So it just had this great ripple effect. I shared any news with the book and, and appearances are everything, you know, like you talk to any branding or, or marketing person and appearances are everything. And, and that's another thing I tell authors all the time. It's like, you need to have the appearance that things are going on for your book. You know, that takes place on your retail pages that takes place on your website, that takes place on social media and it can happen anywhere really well and it's uh what year was this that that memory box was published 2014 2014 okay so uh that i mean that is quite an accomplishment on it on its own because i think a lot of our listeners and people in the writing community think of the traditional publishing path as the way to reach those bestseller lists but you did this with a self-published book uh, and, and and you didn't do it in a collection or an anthology. You you did it with your with your own novel. So I, I think that's that's quite an accomplishment. And and I'm I'm curious as to how you uh, were able to get enough sales on those other platforms to be considered for those lists. Because I know you know if it's just on Amazon, uh, you know it doesn't necessarily qualify. Right. And I did have to go wide. I had been um, exclusive at the beginning. Um, and I did have to give the exclusivity up, which I was happy to do at that point, but it did help me to be exclusive while I was accumulating, um, ranking and reviews, you know, that really helped churn up those, uh, those review numbers. And then I went wide, um, like you said, and it's sold everywhere books can be found, um, and I took some, a few months, I had it in mind that I was gonna go for a list, you know? And so I really got the PR machine going and I had interviews and blog stops and, you know, I really got as many people on board um, to talk about the book, interview me. I had a few like tricks up my sleeve as far as events I had planned to get some um, publicity on, I remember that summer <laughs> I did this campaign on a beach. Oh my God, this was crazy. I got some friends involved too. And I live in New Jersey, not too far away from the Jersey shore. And I researched some towns in New Jersey that had bookstores in the towns. And I contacted the bookstores and the local media and said, I was going to be on the beach giving away copies of my book. And I wore uh, a t-shirt that said, where's your beach book? And all my friends did too. And I just walked up and down the beach giving, giving out books oh, wow. um, to people who were reading. So anybody who was reading on the beach. And then I got a camera crew to follow me. So it turned into, so something like that, you know, it just, it gets a lot of buzz. People want to cover that. The local media wanted to cover it. The TV, um, you know, the video crew, TV crew wanted to follow it because it really makes for great um, video, obviously. 
And so things like that really, um, and the people I met that day, I'm telling you, I can't even remember how many people shared on Facebook what was happening to them. An author came up to them on the beach because they were reading with a group of people all wearing these t-shirts, where's your beach book, a camera crew behind me. It was everywhere, it was everywhere. And then people were sharing it. And so that was really exciting. And um, so it was things like that, um, that really brought attention to the book. And I was really lucky. I was super lucky. Wow. Uh, I used to, I, I lived in New Jersey for a while. Which beach were you on? So let's see. I was on Long Branch, Bradley Beach, Asbury Park, Spring Lake, Bayhead. Like wow, I did them all. went to a lot. <laughs> <laughs> went to a lot of them. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's, it, that's crazy. Uh, were you, um, were you using any paid ads at the time? I mean, this was kind yeah. of pre-Amazon ads and everything too, right? I was not doing pre-ads. And I, I mean, I was not doing any kind of Amazon, Facebook, um, BookBub. I was not doing ads. And for the simple reason was I had one book out there and I don't think it's cost effective for an author to pay for ads for one book. Um, I think going forward, if you have a backlist, yeah, it makes a ton of sense, you know. So, and I, I really was on a shoestring, to be quite honest with you. When I launched this book, it was like, what can I drum up without spending a lot of money? Because, you know, authors out there know how hard it is to sell books. They know if they're investing in their own business, if they're authorpreneurs, if they're paying for the editing, paying for the book cover, it's hard to recoup that. You know, you've got to dazzle a lot of people, you know. Yeah, yeah. So with that first book, I didn't know I'd ever recoup my my costs. So I kept everything on a shoestring and I did not do ads. Um, but I love the idea of ads if you have a backlist. Right. Now you uh, so, so that's the foundation for your, your your sort of approach. So how has that morphed into the 13-week book launch. Can you talk about that? Yeah. I mean, things happened that I just was not prepared for with that book. Of course, I was never prepared for it hitting the New York Times bestseller list. And I was never prepared for how many people reached out to me to start. I started speaking, you know, started speaking at book uh writers conferences and um, actually JD and I met at Thriller Fest. This was years ago and I was on a panel discussion with him. And so I became the person that self-published authors wanted to hear, you know, they wanted to hear, they, they needed that validation that it's possible and they needed to be inspired and they needed to know that, look what could happen, you know, if you do the right things, if you, you know, publish in a professional way. Um, and so all of those speaking engagements kind of opened up, which I really loved. I mean, as the head of PR and communications for Estee Lauder, I used to do that all the time. It was really fun and I really enjoy it. So, and I love the fact that I can inspire people to get the job done. You know, a lot of, as we talked about before, you can, you can come up with hundreds of excuses to 
not finish the book, not publish the book. So that was really one of the bright spots of, I don't think that would have happened if somebody bought my book. If, you know, Random House bought that memory box, a lot of these things wouldn't have happened, you know. And then I started a consulting business. I started um, doing workshops and teaching uh, how to self-publish, how to market your book, how to market your book if you're a, um, uh, you know, a shy introvert or if you're an extrovert, you know, there are things you can do. A lot of people are like, no, I'm too introverted. I can't market. Yes, you can, of course. And I can tell you how, but so all of that morphed into this desire to share my process. So when I was preparing to launch my newest book following, it's called Following You. It's a psychological thriller. I thought it would be really fun to share the process of what it takes to get a self-published book out there in the world. You know, what you have to do. A lot of people are really surprised what it takes to do and what you have to think about and how many decisions you have to make. But it's been so much fun to share that because I'm meeting tons of people who, um, are also, you know, getting ready to launch a self-published book, maybe in the spring, and they this information is really, really important to them. And I share with them like my disaster moments, yeah. which are <laughs> unfortunately there are those, you know. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, as we as we kind of pull the conversation to a close, I have a fun question for you. Uh, this is one we like to ask all of our guests. Uh, based on what you've seen so far, even even going back to 2014, where do you think the publishing industry is going? And, and whether that's self-publishing, traditional publishing, marketing and PR, like what do you think the future is for us? Well, I find it very interesting that you call that a fun question. <laughs> <laughs> fun because you can't get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But for a lot of us authors, it's not fun fun um, because I think I think what's happening is traditionally traditional publishing is getting smaller and smaller and they are taking less risk. It's harder to get a book bought, you know, a, never mind a first book, a second, a third. Um, it's definitely difficult to sell fiction. Um, I'm a fiction writer, so that's something that concerns me. I mean, I would love to sell a book because um, I think hybrid is a hot. When you're a hybrid author, you have a lot of strength. Um, and I think it's the strongest position you can be in. So I may try in the future to sell, you know, at least one book traditionally, but I think it's going to be harder and harder to do so. Um, mainly because traditional publishers are only taking on people who they've had success with. So the big guys, you know, the big authors who are selling the numbers. And um, so what does that mean for mid-list, for new debut authors? And um, they have to learn to do it on their own. And then if you do do it on your own, you have to learn how to do it right and how to get how to find your readers. Finding your readers is so hard to do. So yeah, we're in a time of reckoning right now and the publishing industry is really um, at a crossroads, I believe. Um, we know 
the big guys, the big five, they sell to bookstores, but bookstores are also sadly um, closing. The pandemic hasn't helped, uh, hasn't helped a situation that was already in trouble. So uh, yeah, I don't know. There are a lot of question marks, but I think what's happening is the big five will become maybe the big four or even the big three, and then they will rely on their their money-making authors. Um, so that leaves a lot of us to do what we can do on our own. And that is appealing, trying to appeal to the ultimate consumer instead of the gatekeepers. Hey, before we talk about that great interview with Ava, I just want to give you guys a quick reminder that if you are looking to format your books and you want one of the greatest tools out there, get yourself Atticus. I've got my whole catalog in there now. It's cloud-based, web-based. You can do it from, from any device. And, uh, and Dave and his team over there, they're always making improvements. So if you're looking to format and you need a great tool to do it, uh, make sure you check out Atticus. All right. Uh, I got to say, uh, JD, I felt like I was talking to your doppelganger, your female doppelganger. <laughs> you know, honestly, like at this point, I've been doing this for so long. It's pretty rare that I hear something that I've never heard before. But like I literally had the pen and paper out listening to this interview, uh, you know, like walking down the beach, hang, handing out your books and getting a film crew to make sure that that gets on television, like all these different things. Like it's idea after idea after idea and, and all out of the box ideas and those are the ones that, that tend to, to work um, I, I know I've told this story before but back in the day when I used to you know chaperone um, musicians when they came to Fort Lauderdale in Miami you know I, I had Madonna in the car for a week or two um, when she was touring for Vogue um, and she told me that when she had an album coming out she would make a list of what everybody else is doing to promote an album and then she would create another list of things nobody was doing and that's what she would do to promote her own um, she called it zigging instead of zagging which is you know just something that has just stuck with me throughout this whole thing if you do things that nobody else is doing you you will stand out from that crowd and and ava is obviously very accomplished at that just to clarify you drove her around for a couple weeks you didn't have her locked in your car for a couple weeks right? I was about to make that <laughs> yeah. Joke. yeah i guess as a, as a thriller author i should probably clarify, yeah, clarify that. like in the trunk or like, yeah no this was one of those situations where i, I picked her up at the airport and kind of had to chaperone and get her around to the radio station interviews and and all those kind of fun things um, and I, w I would interview them back in the day and then sell those interviews to, you know, teen people and um, Seventeen Magazine and stuff like that. That's kind of where I, I started out. I, I don't want to sidetrack this conversation, but I got to ask, like, did she know you by name at a certain point? Like, were you? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, well, after probably like three days in the car, she took the time to, to figure out who I was. But, you know, it was the same deal with, you know, because I did this with so many, you know, like artists back then. And, and you know, in, in this world, it happens too. like, you know, I was just, you know, I go on tour somewhere, you know, somebody picks me up, somebody gets me from A to B. And, you know, I was basically I was that guy. If you, if you go out and rent the movie, um, get him to the Greek, you know, like that was me. That was that was my job for about a year and a half or so for RCA records. Um, so, yeah. If only they knew they were sitting in the car with a future number two New York Times bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> number two. Where, where's the t-shirt? I need a t-shirt that says that. No, just to piggyback off what you said, though, for real, like it was, uh, yeah, it was really interesting hearing some of, just honestly hearing her whole journey and from working with Estee Lauder and some of the stuff that she took away, like the whole story about dumping the the perfume on the carpet like that was 
That was interesting. That kind of makes me just want to like go to the library and throw my books on the ground. Like, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know. Like it was, but it was, it was really, and it, it's funny because, um, I was actually recently having a conversation with somebody, um, actually in your mastermind, Jay, and like talking about different sorts of ways to promote your book and stuff. And I like one thing that I'm like, I feel like I'm not super good at is trying things that maybe do seem out of the box. Cause I always feel like, oh, if I do that, it's just probably not going to be worth my time. But like, you don't know until you try. You know, so like some of the stuff that she was talking about was really kind of piqued my interest. Maybe that maybe I should try some stuff that maybe feels uncomfortable or I don't think will work because maybe it will at the end if I try it. Well, you know, one of the I, I see a lot of authors, you know, that get out on social media. We'll use that as an example, and they'll they'll respond to every Facebook comment or every you know tweet or every Instagram, whatever. You know, even if it's just as simple as, as liking it, um, but that's a one-on-one thing that you're doing. And if you break down the various ideas that Eva just talked about, every single one has exponential returns. Yeah. You know, like she talks to a book club, you know, but she talked to two hundred book clubs, and like I, I do that all the time. And like my my minimum threshold is fifty people have to be on that Zoom call if if I do it remotely, um, and I know. You know, and I got that idea from her. Like she, she's one of the people that you know. She told me that's how she hit the New York Times list. So I just I added that to my my repertoire of, of stuff. I love but, that idea. Like, yeah. Oh, it's it's huge. Yeah, because yeah. you get on there. You, you know, you talk to this. You know, it's already a big group. Um, and I do it with foreign countries too. They they'll bring in a translator, or do whatever they need to do. Um, but you know, it, it just it makes the, the the day of the people that are on that call, and you know that they hang up and they they're telling all their friends about it. And you know, in the end, you know, like the only thing that really sells books is word of mouth. You know, you can buy as many Facebook ads as you want. Uh, but if people aren't out there, you know, reading your book and then telling three, you know, three other people about it, it it's not going to go anywhere. You're just you're spinning your wheels. Um, so every single idea that she threw out there, um, you know, it, it, it exponentially you know, gave her returns. Um, and, you know, and she told us about the ones that worked. I, I would love to hear what the clunkers were, because, you know, if, you know, yeah. like these are the ones that did well for her, she probably has 10 other ones that didn't. Um, but, you know, like you just said, like she got out there and she tried them, you know, like and, and you have to. Yeah, I, I think it's also important to mention that there isn't a playbook like I don't think you can necessarily try and replicate what what Ava did or what JD did and mailing stuff to libraries I mean to some extent maybe there are certain things you can but you have to remember too that that times and tastes and behaviors change um, which I think is a good thing because it forces you to come up with new and creative ways you can't just well, like once everyone's doing the thing, it's no longer a thing, right? Like if everyone's right. doing book clubs, then, then it's no longer something special. So I, I, I'd like the challenge. And I, I think there are a lot of authors, myself included, I, like Zach, I, I tend to fall on things I know or things I've done before. But I think this is a reminder that you've always got to try and, 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 and sort of push the envelope. Like you've got you to try and find the line or, or, or come up with something new and different because that's where people take notice. That's kind of like a first mover advantage in, in entrepreneurial terms. Yeah, and I, you know, going back to what JD said about Madonna, like I love that, you know, uh, writing down what everyone else is doing. Because I bet even when she wrote down what everybody else was doing, she was probably thinking of ways that she could do it better or do it that is that more would benefit her and be more her style. Um, and then also like writing down those things that no one's doing and trying them. Like, I think that that is, uh, that that's, that's genius. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. Excellent. Wonderful interview. Uh, very eye opening. And, uh, we don't, we don't have, I don't think we've had another guest who's hit the times list as a self-pubbed author. Have we? Not like that. Yeah. Um, I, I can't remember. Anybody. She might be the only I mean, one. So that, that's, that's yeah, kind of impressive. Yeah. 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 Cool. 
All right. Um, who's up next week, J.D.? Next week, we've got Barbara Graham. She's an award-winning playwright um, and author, um, primarily for magazines. She's written for Time Magazine, Oprah's uh, Magazine, O, Glamour, More, National Geographic, Vogue. Um, she also edited a New York Times bestseller, uh, bestseller called Eye of My Heart. Um, she's got her own book coming out called What Jonah Knew. It releases on July 5th, so she's going to be here to tell us all about it. Barbara Graham. And I'll bet you didn't have to spell that one phonetically. I did not. <laughs> Graham. 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 <laughs> Graham. I can't pronounce anything. I just spent 20 minutes with my daughter trying to say the word splash pad over and over again, and I couldn't get it out right. <laughs> well, you, you nailed just... Graham perfectly, so we're good there. Thank, thank you. If you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersincpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode, and have a great week of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.